0: podcast that seeks to explore interesting films through the world of physical media or or otherwise or people that just like watching really cool and interesting films and I'm really lucky to have another guest this week a man whose voice probably more than anybody else's sounds a bit like my own if that makes sense you might know him better as uh, Let's Talk Criterion but this is Steve Mack how you doing sir?
1: Hello Chris I'm absolutely fine Yes, I sound exactly like you. <laughs> you could even have an echo. There could even be an echo if he said the same word.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things when you're kind of going through and you get recommended videos every now and again, Steve, and you just kind of go, oh, I'll watch. This is a channel I've never heard of. And you hit play and then you go, Oh. He sounds a bit like me.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's unexpected. <laughs> you probably didn't expect someone from Northern Ireland well, to be so on YouTube doing films like you. I know it's great. It's great. Neither did I, but I found your channel as well.
0: <laughs> it's, it's funny how small the world is sometimes, you know, Isn't even though
1: it's so tiny, to be honest. Yeah.
0: It really is. It is it is interesting. So yeah, you the internet to...
1: keeps it small.
0: It does, <laughs> it does. So you're here keep me company and tell me about some of the things that you've been watching recently then we'll discuss some upcoming releases that excite you and then we have a movie of the choice that you have brought up this week which is Prick Up Your Ears by Stephen Frears and I'll tell you when I put that out Steve because you sent it to me obviously we yes. conversation back and forward Um, he said right let's go for this and I was like
1: well I haven't
0: seen that and when I was kind of thinking about the format of the show and thinking about what would be cool to do in that third section what would be essentially the movie club part I went what I really want is people to recommend me movies that weren't on my radar and this couldn't Great. have fallen any better
1: Fantastic. Well, it's really personal for me, this film, and I'll tell you why later. Very yeah, personal. Yeah,
0: that'll be great. Yeah. So we'll get to that in due course. But we'll start with what we've been watching recently, what we'd call the... Uh something old, as I would say. So what, what kind of things have been tickling your fancy or what kind of rabbit holes or moods have you been in? Is there a theme well, around this time
1: of year? Y- y- yeah, there is indeed, yes. it's <laughs> October I have been burying myself in a lot of horror. Classic horror, of course, as yep. well as modern horror. Uh, and I I love the juxtaposition of both, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, two films recently I've watched, for instance, The Exorcist, the, the, the horror big daddy, really. Yeah. And then, of course, that new, that new version of The Exorcist that's been made available on 4K. Yes, I do agree with Elliot. There are problems. But it's still just a fantastic film. Yeah. It's just right up there still. Not as scary as when I first saw it, Chris, to be fair. But then I didn't watch it for that reason. I watched it for things that maybe I missed the first time round. Yeah. But, Ellen, you know, Ellen Burstyn's amazing in it. She's incredible. Jason Miller is amazing in it. And although it's not a film I want to spend a lot of time talking about, it's it's right up there in the horror canon, really.
0: Yeah, I hadn't seen it in in 25 years, I think, uh, Steve, Mm. and it was one of those things, like, I barely remembered it. You know, obviously, it has some of the most memorable scenes in in all of movies, in some ways, so you don't forget those. But a lot of the rest of it was, like, a fresh watch.
1: Yeah, there's parts even I watched it again recently, and I thought, I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, I was watching the director's cut version mm-hmm. with the spider walk in it, but I still think, I'm sure that was, was that in the original film or wasn't it? But I couldn't honestly remember. And then I yeah. got the other disc out later, put it in, and sure enough, there it was. It was both, yeah. both, both versions of the movie. So clearly I must have missed it the first time round. But then you're not you're not paying close enough attention. That's, That's the thing. You're sort of wandering a little bit in the early stages of the film as as things unfold and then of course it ramps up big time uh (laughs) whenever uh you know a certain person arrives on the scene (laughs) indeed
0: so there's there's like two things that stand out to me on this video because i just sort of treated like a first time watch in some ways because of all the other bits that i couldn't remember so one is I. it's not particularly scary nowadays. I'm certainly not comparable. It was released in seventy seven or seventy five. Sorry, wasn't it wasn't. Uh, it's not, but it's definitely a horror film. See a lot of this commentary that says, "Oh, it's not really a horror oh, film."
1: Do oh, me I, a favor, honest to goodness. Like, well, Let's you project it, I buy it. <laughs> it people people were vomiting in the audience, Chris, when they watched yeah. that. They were actually having, uh, you know, fits in the cinema. This is a horror film and it's it's of the of the sort of level of psycho really that the effect yeah. it had in the audience in nineteen sixty is exactly the same effect the, the exit had. Yeah. They were queued round the block to see this film, Chris. <laughs> you know, we're we're of the wrong we're of the wrong generation for this. Yeah. You know, really the people who, who were uh, young adults in this in the time that was released are the yeah. ones that would have been the ones who were petrified, not us. We have yeah. seen far too much in our time And that's a problem I have, Chris, is people judge things by modern standards. And they shouldn't do that. They should always judge it by the standards at which existed at the time it was made. And what the filmmaker thought and what their views were when they made it. What was Freakin thinking? He was thinking, let's shake everybody up because he's William Freakin. And that's exactly what he did. He was a young man. He was a very ambitious young man. And that film really just catapulted his career.
0: It really did. Oh, absolutely! So. And the the fact that everybody tried to iterate on the shock value of The Exorcist and tried to outdo it for so long. So when people try and redress it, it's because yeah. it was a tentpole at a time to kind of say, look, beat this. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then but, they, but, they really haven't, to be fair. They're pale comparisons. Most of the representations, or even, you know, parts taken from it and redone, they're yeah. just never. They, they just don't hold that originality of the original film holds.
0: And a bit like you were oh, saying, that the new yeah.
1: aberration that's been recently released is a good example. <laughs> I haven't seen it? I've not seen it. <laughs> exorcist believes, but best not talked about at all. I believe, uh, yeah. certainly according to Mark mode, Anyway,
0: <laughs> so we, we didn't mean to talk about the Exorcist, but, but it, it is well, interesting, not as true. Such a talking point, it Chris. Uh, but, right, and George. But what's the first?
1: To, the film I wanted to talk about is a, a, from around the same period. It's nineteen sixty-eight. It's the classic Rosemary's Baby from mm. Roman Polanski. The Many people, yeah, I got the 4K. I actually didn't know that they were going to bring the UK version out on Paramount, and I ordered the US one. <laughs> and would you believe, ironically enough, it hadn't arrived in the UK. Would release <laughs> and I was really angry, because I was absolutely dying to see it. But there you go. I did eventually catch up with that. Um, I can divorce Roman Polanski, what he is and what he's done, yeah. from the films he made. I think you have to, because there's no two ways about it. He's a brilliant filmmaker, Chris, from *Knife in the Water, Propulsion, Cul-de-sac, uh, Chinatown. right through to Chinatown. Oh, my God. Well, I can't wait for the 4K of that. I know it's mm. coming. But ro- the thing about Rosemary's Baby... It plays out a little bit like at the beginning, almost like it's a 60s sitcom. Mm-hmm. This lovely young couple are getting married. Everything is happy. They're getting into the apartments, and they just literally love each other. And of course, you know, it, it's it's just a an idyllic sort of start up, really, where they're being shown through the the courtyard area, shown the apartment. She loves it, doesn't she? Loves the apartment, and then. They meet the (laughs) neighbours. And that's where it sort of takes a strange turn and it kicks off. And for me, there's always something a little bit off kilter. Even when you first see the apartment, I felt that something wasn't quite right about the apartment itself. But it was the fact that you didn't really suspect anything when you first started watching the film because of the way Mia Farrow was playing it Mm -hmm. and John Cassavetes. And then you meet Ruth Gordon and her husband, and then you realise there's something not quite right about these people. There's something, I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but there's something not right about them. And then, of course, when she gives her the little necklace, (laughs) you realise, oh, God, no, God, no. Uh, obviously I've seen the film before so I'm talking more or less from the first time I saw the film I, I didn't realise what was going on you never, you're never, you not meant to of course yeah. but obviously on th- second or third watch you're looking out for things you've never seen film. before yeah. but it, R- Ruth Gordon is quite eccentric as a neighbour if I had her as an extra neighbour I'd run a mile Chris, seriously <laughs> 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 you know what I mean she's, she's over friendly and yeah. nosy, that's what got me. She's incredibly nosy because obviously she wants to see what this couple are like and what is going on and what potentially what is happening. Of course, her eyes practically light up when she realises she's going she's gonna to have a baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it, it 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 starts really well and it continues really well. Yeah. And obviously the two central performances are what holds it up. And then there's the New Year's party, where all these friends suddenly come from nowhere. Mm-hmm. And all of them are a bit weird as well. Yeah. They're nice, they're friendly, but there's something not quite right about them. It's that amazing thing, he seed he plants, he plants Polanski, that grows. And it's almost like a disease that starts to build. And you suddenly realise, oh my God, what is going on? Well, and this drink that she's given, this strange drink, and then she starts throwing up and starts being sick, and I'm thinking, oh, are they trying to kill her? What are they trying to do? <laughs> but obviously, they you know, and the, the, the surrealist, the surrealistic scene, of course, where the impregnation takes place, is is basically where you realise that, ah, that 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 jaw drop jaw moment, you realise, oh, what's going on? Yeah, I mean,
0: Polanski is a master of storytelling I think that's the thing that always stands out about his stories he tells what are often very complex stories in a way that are sort of easy to follow like a lot of the examples that you use there are kind of fall into that kind of idea of having lots of different things happening at the one time a lot of stuff swimming in your head but somehow at certain points things crystallize to a point where you go ah exactly as you say you kind of get that feeling uh from it
1: he gives you the clues, but you miss yes. them. That's right. Especially on the first viewing. And on repeated viewings, you're looking for the clues and they're all there, but you're not paying attention. Like like a true sort of film of that type, mm-hmm. they, they, he wants you not to pay attention. He wants you to, to miss the, the key points. Yeah. The Scrabble, for instance. And the, the way it's almost foreshadowed they're playing Scrabble and then suddenly she ends up using the Scrabble. <laughs> it's quite clever. You yeah. know, he's introduced it as a device, but you didn't notice. Yeah. Because it was an instant game they were playing, and then suddenly she's using it to work out exactly what's going on. Yeah. So for me, I mean, she she when she realises there's a conspiracy, her performance goes to a different level entirely, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I don't, honestly don't know why she didn't get an Oscar. She was nominated for one, but she didn't get one. And I don't know why, because that was her, I believe that was her first film.
0: Mm. But do you not think, Steve, uh, this is the thing about genre cinema in general. It is not seen as being either Oscar worthy or otherwise. You know, like you're just talking about The the Exorcist there. The Exorcist is a film that is held together and is so great because of the level of performance in it. You couldn't put it any better. It is a outstanding acting performance after another one. And this is another film that falls directly in that, but they never get recognised.
1: Yeah, horror films never win Oscars. No. No, it's 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 sad, really, because those those performances are right up there with any other academy performance. I would say of that year. Yeah. I'm not sure which one won for that for that particular year. I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was, but it probably was something big, you know. Yeah. Uh, with with lots of ensemble performances and no doubt, which Rosemary's Baby didn't have. To be fair, it, it, largely the film was me a far one her own in the apartment. Because mm-hmm. did you notice also that John Casavetes? Rather, sort of disappears. We all know where he's going, of course, and what he's up to. He's plotting against her with the coffin, <laughs> but he sort of disappears halfway oh, through yeah. the film, and he's only just literally hopping in and out. But she is suffering on her own most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think you know, uh, she carries the film, Mia Farrow, to a large extent with the with a sort of slightly, you know, a slightly eccentric comic turn of Ruth Gordon and, and the others, but. But, I mean, originally, apparently it was going to be Robert Redford. Could you imagine oh, wow. Robert Redford as her husband? <gasps> uh, I think he may have been doing uh, uh, no, the uh, possibly the comedy film at the time. Um, the Dean Simon, Barefoot in the Park, oh, maybe yes, in 67, 68. He was engaged with that, I think. Oh dear, there you go. So, so I'm glad he was really because I couldn't imagine him in that role yeah. at all.
0: <laughs> it's funny how it would have changed the whole so, uh, um, whole mood of, of that film, you know, having Robert Redford and having such a, maybe such a big star and so, and, in a way just would have taken away was, from it. You he, know? Would
1: have, he would have eclipsed me of Fire Chris. he would have mm. eclipsed her and uh, it was her first film and she was, uh, she, was she was quite new really, yeah. but the thing, the thing I like as well is, I mean, you, would you believe Charles Gruden is in it? Right. The actor Charles Gruden is in it. He plays the young doctor she goes to help for, who betrays her. Uh, and obviously there aren't many names other than the main names that you recognize the actors. Mm-hmm. They're obviously probably very popular American actors at the time, but because we're from a different decade, we don't necessarily know who they are. They could have been in TV shows and all sorts, yeah. you know. But um, it was a great book he wrote as well, R11, and yes. uh, and that, that screenplay from it as well.
0: Keep on mind to read it.
1: So, yeah, very satisfying watch, even though I'd seen it before. Thoroughly enjoyed watching it again.
0: Yeah, they are, they're good fun to go back and, and revisit. And it's something I've been doing this October as well, is going back and kind of going through a lot of films that I hadn't seen like a lot of really big classic films that I hadn't seen I'm, I've got a video that I'm sort of planning how I'm going to talk about so many classic films in one video kind of thing like it's really difficult to kind of give everything 30 <laughs> seconds that's like, like is, blood and black lace. here's 30 seconds of blood and black lace. Oh,
1: <laughs> you, you try and talk about Pasolini's first seven films and you know how hard it can get that's
0: yeah, bit, bit, bit nuts so that's good, so uh, give us another one, give us another one, Steve the Fell into your okay.
1: Watching. Well, we move we move to schlock horror, body horror. It's got to be my main man. I love this director. He is one of my favorite directors, and you probably know because I've chosen two of his films. And it's <laughs> David Cronenberg. Oh, well, fantastic! Born in Toronto, Canadian born, he is a master of body horror. I mean, just leave all the others in the shade, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. He he was the one that made it happen in camera. In a believable way, and quite honestly, it was repulsive to watch. You know, you're Stories. going from early films like Crimes of the Future right mm. through uh, Rabid and uh, into the 80s, and of course, I think he just came into his own in the 80s with films like with films like The Fly, yes. which comes after the one I'm talking about, and then of course, equally equally hard to watch sometimes is Dead Ringers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that there's an awful lot of body horror in it, but again, there's some stuff in there that's just not comfortable to watch. But the one, the one I wanted to talk about was Videodrome. It's had a yeah. recent uh, renaissance on 4K from two separate labels. That's right, Arrow that's did right. it first, and then Criterion. criterion. Uh, I, ha- I have to say, I bought the Arrow one, and I've got the Criterion one as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, to,
0: to be so, fair, the um, the packaging of the Criterion one is some of the very finest packaging that they've ever done. Oh, you know, it's, 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 it's lovely, it's, and they've it's kept so the original
1: packaging exactly as it was. Uh, um, um, there it is. There it is, uh, just so, exactly as it was. Um, and, so great. it's the spine and, and that, that video, too. Yeah, that, <laughs> look at this. I mean, it's a video, it's like a video, it's brilliant. And it's actually not VHS, it's Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> just tell everyone that's Betamax, not VHS. The, we had a Betamax, player. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it was an American one, I think it was a big American format rather oh, than right, okay. in the UK, but. Yeah, I think it'd a would be max hit big in America uh, in the early days. But, yeah, I mean, apparently uh, James Woods saw uh, Scanners um, right, and okay. wanted to be in Videodrome as Max ran. And, of course, he saw Deborah Harry from Blondie performing the video Union City Blue. Right. And he wanted Deborah Harry in the film because that a lot of people wonder why why Debbie Harry's in it. Yes. She's not an actress. But the thing was, he wanted her because of her persona in Blonde. Right, okay. The punk Rocky yeah, Goddess, yeah. the urban singer. And he wanted her in that film because she represented herself. Yeah. And that's why he chose her.
0: Well, it's just some of the theme. It's the bit of the, the theme Jesus. of the entire film, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: totally, totally. You know, and she you could imagine everybody thought that she was slightly, you know, ooh, kinky anyway, Deborah, Harry, <laughs> because of some of the stuff that Bloody got up to. I'm not going into detail there, <laughs> but because of that, she was able to be kinky in Video Joe because she is. You know, the, the the needle through the ear and the piece of cork. Yeah. Which uh, is, is some, somewhat unsettling to watch. It's a, just a touch of, uh, you know, just ever so it's slightly on the edge. And Video Drum just is ever so slightly on the edge all the way through. Mm-hmm. Nothing terribly overly sexual, but it's got those sexual overtones in it, which carry it through. And that's what I liked about it. And he wrote the screenplay himself for the film mm-hmm. as well. Which is very interesting. He didn't take a separate writer and ask a separate writer to do it. He clearly wanted to do it himself. He knew what he wanted to put on the screen. And he's terribly well prepared, Cronenberg as well. He re- he doesn't overly rehearse his scenes, but he plans his, his in-camera stuff, meticulously. Yeah. And there's a lot of in-camera stuff in video drama. I mean, there's the, the scene where, with her mouth comes out of the television. That's right. The scene where the gun comes out of the television. Well, it's not a gun. It's like a flesh version of a gun. There's the scene where the television wobbles and what's the word? Undulates. There's a lovely word. It undulates. Oh. And then there's the scene where he puts the videotape in his belly. I mean, you're watching it in 4K, Chris, and honestly, you cannot see where the... You can't. There's no strings anywhere. It's there, right in front of you. You know that when the cameraman was in the room, he was seeing exactly the same thing. I was, yeah. It's just incredible the visual. The visual, There's no CGI anywhere to be seen. Nothing. nothing. Yeah. No mats. Nothing.
0: Cronenberg. So is, that's what I admire most
1: about it, really. Yeah,
0: Cronenberg's a, a, a director. I think we all, as we get older, kind of reveling as each year passes just a little bit more because there again a couple of things really strike me but in one like you're there a lot of people come for the body horror but stay for the message you know and all of his films have a very overt message about them he, he isn't just doing it for effect he's doing it to showcase oh, some yes. kind of idea that he's trying to challenge you with yes the
1: media particularly in video he was looking at the media and how they can over sensationalize and over 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 you know overdo things and uh, the good example is the the tapes the video tapes brian oblivion Mm -hmm. uh, and and what he does how he can't be seen in person he has to be seen on a television set uh uh, you know it echoes a lot of what we have nowadays to be honest well it's that that idea yeah
0: it's it's that idea of you think this is horrible actually what's happening in the background or what is potentially going to happen in the future is way more horrific than this body horror that you think I'm showing. And I think that's, I, I love how he uses horror and the thing to kind of really put that in your face and challenge you as a, as a watcher.
1: Yeah, it's sort of foreshadowed the future in a way because he, he sort of introduced uh, it, sort of propaganda using <laughs> video and media early on. And now we can be somewhat conditioned by things. And in fact, to be honest, we have been. And COVID was a very good example of conditioning to a very, very high extreme. We were glued to our TV sets, watching the six o'clock bulletin, being told right. what we could do next. That was conditioning. <laughs> that was conditioning. You know, we, we, there weren't many people not watching it. So, yeah. so yeah, my video drum is, is one of my favorite Cronenberg films, to be fair. Brilliant. Really. It's just a, a superb piece of work. And the performances, largely by unknown actors as well, largely Canadian actors, fairly unknown. Peter Vorsky, for instance, as Harlan, is in it, and uh, he is—he's been in more than one Cronenberg film as well. But uh, most of the rest of them, you really don't. Sonja Smits, maybe, but you don't know many of them to be fair, uh, outside of the film, really.
0: Interesting, interesting. Two very interesting choices to start us off yeah. there, Steve. You actually get three for the price of two, yeah. right? Throwing in The Exorcist.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry right. about that, folks. No, you're fine. It, it, <laughs> you're is, well discussion.
0: Uh, it is one of those. <laughs> so I'll do a couple now. And since you've led me off in a, in a horror theme, I'm going to change a couple of the ones that, I'm, that I was going to talk about. Uh, let's go for this. Actually, one of my favourite okay. first-time watches this year, one of the best 4K discs and releases that I've seen this year, is Brotherhood of the Wolf uh, by Studio Canal.
1: I've never seen I this bought before. It, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, have you seen it before, mm. Steve? No, I haven't. And It's still literally got the plastic on it. I haven't unwrapped it even.
0: First time watch for me as well. Have to say, so kind of didn't know what I was going in for, other than I kind of thought it was going to be a war Roof movie because you know the title, etc. of that. The title, yeah. It's a long movie. It's a French movie. It's does that thing that I think a. L- you know, City of Lost Children came out this year by Stuart Canal as well, which is also terrific, as well as, you know, Caro as well. Uh, they create these worlds that are so believable. So, kind of this world of stories set within classic revolutionary kind of French times with the very, you know, the, the difference in class, all of that kind of stuff's happening. So, spend so much of the film it's building up that world and kind of setting and making you feel, right, I'm existing in this world. And then they threw the fantasy element and the fantasy horror element of this wolf that's basically attacking all of these people, this creature. And like would have happened in those days, the spoken word of people saying, oh, I have seen it. It looked like this. Oh, I've seen it. It was bigger than you could have imagined. All of those tales that kind of you think are kind uh, of made out of, yeah. you know, stories and kind of all that kind of stuff, but actually coalesce into, you know, a bit of a legend that people come and investigate and I can't tell you how satisfying the whole thing was again for a film that's made of its time kind of going right CGI wasn't at the level that maybe it is now if it was made now they would have done it completely differently but it's all the better for it I think. in a lot of ways and I think it's really immersive storytelling and by god this disc that they put together is incredible with the amount of extras I mean this is another one you've got three Blu-rays and a UHD in the one and The One Thing. I oh, that's talk.
1: fantastic, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I have to hand it to Studio Canal. They're doing some amazing work at the moment. Brilliant. They're just knock, knocking it out of the park with the, the work they're doing, really, are.
0: But... Uh, yeah.
1: But I must watch it now, Chris. It sounds know. fantastic.
0: Oh, it really is good.
1: Yeah. Is it like in its interview with the vampire? Is it that sort of a thing where, where you're sort of very much set in a period setting that right. has a slightly contemporary feel to it? I mean... It has a
0: little bit of a contemporary feel insofar as like uh, what's his name Mark the Cascos isn't that what his name is? Uh, he plays like a U- oh, yes. Indian character in it in French times. So we, there is that blending of the fantasy and the reality, kind of a little bit there that he's coming across. And he's a he's a very notable fighter and you know hunter of, of things. So there is there is like I, I know what you mean by the Vampire. You know, in terms of like creating a very gothic yeah, and yeah. feel to it, and then and putting a classic toy in it
1: yeah yeah that's right I mean I I, I definitely have to give it a watch now I mean I've I'm invested in it so I should that's really true. do it before yeah. well there's a few more days left in October that is true That is true. Um, sure <laughs> I promised myself to get through all the child's play films and I've only watched <laughs> one so far <laughs> <laughs> I've got six more to go <laughs> I, I, yeah I know I, I, I shouldn't really. I think I'm <laughs> going to take too much punishment to be honest if I do that <laughs> maybe I'll give it one more probably watch another child's play film again after that Yeah.
0: Uh, well you've got them all in 4k still to watch that's the way it is um, and yeah. the other one I'm going to talk about is a silent film I mean I would call this a horror film it's more of a fantasy film but this is F.W. Murnau's Faust which is a first time watch oh, for me right. yeah oh Goethe to- my god what a film again no CGI special effects here but would you know it from FWM now the man was just a box of tricks at the best of times and he pulls them all out and
1: faust like it's it's, he, it's unbelievable he was a singular talent no doubt about it he was indeed yeah so for anybody who doesn't so, uh, know, I'll give
0: you I'll give you the story of Faust, which is that uh the Yes it's the devil and the angel. It's Mephisto and it seems to be Gabriel of some sort, are having the challenge basically say, you know, Mephisto wants earth for himself and he says, Look, you can't have earth uh, but he says, Well if I can turn Faust, who's the most devout and kind of good person on the planet, to be evil, can I if I can tempt him and and the angel says, Look, if you can, you can have the earth and that's the setup. So Mephisto, the devil sets about trying to tempt Faust by giving him what he thinks his heart desires, which in effect is his youth, because he's an old man, and how that all plays out. The whole thing is just scene after scene of, like, imagination, of special filmmaking effects. It's kind of jaw-dropping from start to finish. And thankfully, it's it's quite short in terms of silent film watching or otherwise, so it doesn't look oh, yeah, welcome. They usually
1: are, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Is it uh, a Eureka release, Chris? It
0: is. It is. That's the Masters of Cinema uh, yeah. release. Uh, yeah. Very yeah.
1: good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, just because it's silent doesn't mean it's not good. You know what oh. me? I mean? Th-
0: I think uh, <sighs> I said a few I feel so many friends. people won't even watch a silent film. I said to so many people, I watched The Exorcist, yeah, I watched Blood just... and Black Lace, I watched Crimes of the Future, I watched Deep Red. Faust mm. might be the best mm. movie I've seen out of the whole lot of them, like in terms of spectacle and everything. I was just like, "This is," which is what like fancy horror is is all about. Like it, horror for 1926 obviously isn't horror of now, but. I think it would have been a horror film back in those days, a very shocking kind of scene of the devil, oh, et cetera. You know?
1: very much, yeah. But I don't think they were constrained by the same boundaries back no. then as well, the filmmaking boundaries. I mean, they may, have had, they may have had larger budgets for the time and also more people at the disposal and more set and more resources mm-hmm. uh, because everything is so tightly controlled budget-wise in films nowadays. Well, you've got 20 sure. million to make this. Do your you know, that's what you gotta do, you know, do it inside twenty million, you know. Use your money how you feel you should use it, but there's always concessions being made with modern films, so like you can see them on screen sometimes where the directors, you know, has conceded to mainly make it CGI because it was cheaper. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and not very good CGI at like that. Yeah So there, there
0: there's there's my first two that fall into the kind of I suppose horrorish genre uh since it's that time of year. What else have you got, Steve?
1: Excellent choices. I'm gonna move away from horror for my next one. Okay. I have got the large one trier box set. Oh wow. I was the one who bought I was the one guy who bought it. <laughs> well, I know another one. I
0: know another two, actually um, the bottom. Polyp- yeah.
1: Oh I bet I bet you yes, I bet I know who they are as well. <laughs> um it's fantastic. I've only i actually bought the four K of this film because it's not 4K on four K in the set. It's a set. I thought, start as you mean to go on, Steve, if you're going to get large one or you're going to have to do a problem. And you probably already so I already own it. have the criteria yeah. of this film as well. <laughs> yeah, got it. <coughs> but I thought to myself, let's just see what the 4K looks like. It's not exceptional, to be right. honest with you, because it's not that sort of a film. film. It's not filmed. This film's fairly bleakly, to be fair. Not an awful lot of colour in it at all. But absolutely blew me away. Yet again. For me, it's one of his most accessible films. He made it and he broke his own rules. Did you know that? Dogma right. 95. But you have to tell people what it is. But delivered by. Right, well, Dogma 95. No, but I Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I'll tell you in a minute. I'll tell you in a minute.
0: Okay, okay, you're doing a bill up, sorry. He broke
1: Dogma 95 rules. <laughs> I'm going to keep you guessing for just a second more. He <laughs> broke his own rules when he made this film, despite having signed on the dotted line with Thomas Vinterberg mm-hmm. for Dogma 95. Because he put music in it and he put visual effects in it. Mm-hmm. It's breaking the waves from 1996. Brilliant. He did it because he he could do it. He's large for a That's basically it. So he's reported to say, "Oh, I didn't want to do it like that. I did it like this." So, it's a, so it a it's a rules so, breaker to start off with, yeah. <laughs> he was a So he set the rules, and then he went ahead, Brooklyn. That's what he did. He did get back on though. He did get back into line later down the line though. I. I'm amazed. It's Emily Watson's debut performance, which I find Incredible. astounding. Yeah. She was nominated, but she didn't get an Oscar. The film itself is just stunning on every level. It's stunning on the way it's put together it in its seven chapters and its epilogue. It's stunning in the performances in it, and there aren't very many lead actors in the film. Mainly, uh, Emily Watson is Bass, mm-hmm. and her husband, played by Stellan Skarsgård, another fantastic, fantastic performance from Stellan Skarsgård. A man, let's face it, of uh, Jan, not of many words at all. To be fair, he doesn't say an That's awful true. lot, but he doesn't need to because he acts with his body and his face. And the the story is just a gentle little story of this simple girl in Scottish Kirk, uh in, in an island. The Kirk is sort of a, a is sort of a, an area, isn't it in Scotland? Basically a very pious uh, community led by the priest who's guided by the elders of the church. They don't even let women talk in the church openly. And Bess just loves this man marries the man, that he has a terrible accident and she has to deal with the the trauma of of her own personal trauma of of having her husband in that state, plus as well as that's Jan himself dealing with what's happened to him. And the whole film is just delightful from beginning to end. It doesn't overdo anything. It seems strangely to be quite melancholic as a film, but yet it seems to have this sort of ribbon of hope through it, mainly by mainly from Bess, to be fair. She always thinks he's going to get better. Mm. We all know he's not going to get better. Yeah. He knows he's not going to get better, so much so that he literally sends her out on the game, which, again, is horrific, where she's literally ostracised by everybody in the entire community. And you feel so sorry for this little woman, who really is just absolutely innocent to the utmost extent. There's not a bad bone in that woman's body. And her little friend, the nurse, uh played incidentally, incidentally by Catherine who of course, it was in... Uh, uh, Mike Lee's naked. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, she was. She was the girl in the flat. Very good. Um, don't see her do an awful lot, to lot, be fair. Yeah. But she was equally, you know, a nice as a support, uh, a supporting friend, and also, you know, she had her little bits towards the end of the film in the scenes where she's looking after Jan and stuff. And it comes to the to the the epitome of the whole thing. Where basically she just loses the will to live, and how uh, Jan reacts because he seems to be back on his feet again. Not really clearly explained why. I don't need to know really, but yeah. he got, he got better. effects, he got better enough to walk, albeit on crutches. And then how they deal with Bess, yeah. the, the reverence. They they don't want her to have a an unnamed burial. They want her to have a. Uh, to be consigned to it, a place where she belongs, uh, hence the title Breaking the Waves, and then you've got this wonderful, f- clearly it was foreshadowed far earlier on in the film by Von Trier, The Bells. Yeah. Beautiful. And I just loved it. I loved seeing it again, and I appreciated it even more. Yeah. I think it's the third time I've watched it, but I appreciate it even more this time around. And I think there was more riches I got out of it this time around. Chris and I did the first two viewings. To be honest, I uh, I keep I on. I think I was to, more focused.
0: I keep on meaning that to rewatch it because many many years since I did. I started watching a while ago on the Criterion Channel and then kind of got out of the way. But I think everybody keeps on showing me how lovely this box set is, and it is it does seem to be like properly comprehensive, even though it's missing that one film, as you quite rightly point out. Interestingly, I did look up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did look up the nineteen ninety seven Oscars. Uh, actress in a, in a leading role so that Emily Watson didn't win that year oh who won so Francis McDormand won who for won the it? Fargo
1: Uh oh, well this is the thing you see yeah that was a popular win wasn't it but it was. I mean deservedly so she was brilliant in Fargo there's there's,
0: so, there's sometimes yeah. she can grumble and complain and go that's fine she was also up against Brenda Blethen as well from Secrets and Lies that year as well With sub so was pretty heavy uh, pretty well, she, heavy amazing in that as well
1: that was heavy going but don't worry Brenda got the can for Best Actress
0: <laughs> indeed she so, won the
1: yeah she, she won the can award
0: in, interesting but, indeed
1: uh, I I think that I think that people look at Bontrair and think I can't watch any of his films and understand them. And, and people will watch films like Antichrist and think what on earth is this and they'd be right to do so mm-hmm. but you watch Breaking the Waves and I guarantee you'll get a beautifully told story Fantastic. very simple to understand and appreciate wonderful performances yeah. so five out of five for me on that it's five stars out of five yeah uh,
0: excellent so one more choice choice from you uh Steve, what's it going to be?
1: Okay. It's another Cronenberg film. Oh, dear God. It's The I'm Dead Zone. <laughs> it's made the same year as Video Dome, 1983. What? You couldn't get two more different films from the same director. Wow. There isn't any body horror as such in The Dead Zone. It's based on the Stephen King novel. So, obviously, it's written by mm-hmm. someone. Fair enough. But it's basically. Have you seen the Dead Zone? Do you know it?
0: I haven't. I haven't seen it. It's one of the few you numbers know that I haven't. But I do know. I do know. I, okay. Uh, I've well, got the foot behind I'm my head. But let's I'm not try, spoil it. I anyway. don't want to
1: give. I don't want to give too much plot away. Basically, it, it's Christopher Walken. He makes the film work. He is amazing as Johnny in the film, and Johnny basically has an accident. And he can touch people and detect their future. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole film revolves around his skill that he's developed while he was in a coma, presumably. It's slightly supernatural. It's slightly, it, you could almost say it's slightly, uh, it, it's, it's chilling and it, it's sort of not, it's not evil and he's not evil. It's sort of, I'd say maybe supernatural is too strong a term, but it's not, his ability is not natural, if you know what I mean. Okay. And obviously, some people react in a really, really bad way to it. Anthony Zurb, who plays this industrialist, reacts in a terrible way to him okay. revealing something about his son. Try not to give too much away here, Chris. <laughs> but obviously, uh, other people, uh, suspect there's something funny about him but don't really do much more than that. But you've got a fantastic supporting cast. You've Herbert Loam as the psychiatrist who looks after him and nurses him back to health. You have Brooke Adams as his girlfriend who then gets remarried later in the film and links up again with Johnny. You have Anthony Zerb as the industrialist. You have the wonderful Martin Sheen as uh, Greg Mm. Stilson the senator who is a nasty piece of work and his sidekick and uh, it's just a great, oh! and you've got Tom Skerritt as the sheriff who who he assists to find a murderer in the film so it's all, uh, it's like a thriller really, with strange off-kilter parts thrown into it okay uh the fact that he can do this peep that this the skill he has this this trick he does uh and then obviously on top of all of that you've got uh this sort of foreshadowing going on as well in the film too where you you know you feel it's, something's it's not going to work out uh he, as he does each time he demonstrates the skill he gets he gets weaker and weaker right okay so it, he, he's, he's effectively not doing terribly well by the end of the film, uh, and you sort of know oh, it's not going to end well. But it's a it's, it's a great book anyway. Anyone that's read the book may argue with me and say, "Well, the film's terrible compared to the book." That's what fair people enough. I've say... read the book. I don't <laughs> want to read the book. <laughs> I, I have my picture of the film in yeah. my head, and that's that's how you've I'm got happy the story. But yeah, it's, it's great, great another great Cronenberg film brilliantly to uh, to. told as well have a look at that yeah The Dead awesome. uh, another score by Hard Shore again oh another very nice score of course by his favourite composer Hard Shore yeah Beautiful. and I think it's available uh, as a shout factory release so it's going to get a 4k soon
0: yeah it was out in print I I've got my
1: pre-order well. in <laughs>
0: very good
1: yeah very good. I believe it was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Excellent. Four great choices there, Stephen. So I don't think I, I I can't say too much more about the dead zone without giving away too too many strong plot devices. I hopefully I haven't given away too much away there. I
0: just have yeah. to go watch it. That's that's my job now, and then we can come back and talk about it again sometime. That might be worth doing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay,
0: so I'll go for my last two, uh, and I couldn't have you on and not talk about a criterion release. So I'm gonna talk about Menace to Society, the Albert Hughes and Albert and the other A. Hughes Brothers film. Anyway, the two of them together. Uh, And it's a film that, that benefits from watching a lot later after the effect. We've just been talking about a lot of horror films. And, you know, this is as horrific as they come for completely different reasons. There's a reality to it that's horrific. You know, this kind of life that these young men lead in terms of... In terms of the awful circumstances and the basically lack of respect for life that they have or even the life expectation that they have because of the lives that they lead. It is shocking and horrible and yet it's very truthful as well, you know, kind of oh, that, it is a very effective film. Have you seen it, Steve, I assume?
1: I have. And it was the first time I watched it when I bought The Criterion and it was a real opener because I have watched mm-hmm. similar films That's like right. Boys in the Hood, Juice, Uh, but it's far better it's far more effective film in that sense because you do not feel you're being manipulated by the filmmaker you feel as if you're just being shown exactly what is going on in the neighbourhood and it is absolutely horrific to watch and you think to yourself how can these people live in this situation with these low expectations they have got aspirations Chris but they don't ever seem to be able to attain them And their lives are so short-lived as well. Uh, It's just incredible. But the thing is, it's still going on now. That was the 90s. It's still happening now.
0: It's hard not to watch something like this and kind of realise that we kind of grew up in a very different but in a lot of ways, very similar style environment with, with you know, there are definitely parallels yes, we made. It's yes. very different. Like nobody was walking around Belfast in quite the same way of walking up to a corner shop. Can't, no, you can't compare it. You but can't compare
1: it. I, I, the cycle of balance, mean, that balance mm.
0: begets balance is definitely true. And that's one of the things that I really took away from the film. And, um, I just, yeah. it,
1: yeah. They don't seem to learn either, Chris. That's the problem. They seem to keep making the same well, mistakes as isn't, well. But isn't
0: it the truth that it was the same as the troubles here? That the only way to deal with this was just go out and take revenge constantly. They did that. We're going to do that. We're, they, you know, and and this cycle that keeps on going round. Yeah. And nobody's yeah. sitting down and going, "This is actually good yeah. for nobody. This isn't creating a stable society. This isn't creating uh, a place where kids can grow up and flourish and kind of do do anything with their lives." And some of the points that it that it has to make in it are, are are quite pointed I think in a lot of ways and are very, very effective. But like the disc, the conversations between the scriptwriter and the Hughes brothers and then the, the music score and uh, the whole thing is just absolutely
1: Yes, the, the extras are uh, superb. Uh, it's really package. something yeah.
0: else as far as the release goes. And I was I just kinda of sat and edited up and then I read the the essay on the inside and I just kind of immersed myself in that story and those characters in that world for a good couple of hours.
1: Yeah, you you literally lose you yourself in that world, don't you? And you, you you come out the other side and think they've achieved nothing. Oh. It was all for nothing. I'm not can't give anything away because yeah. then you must see the film. But it's it's just heartbreaking. The end of the oh, film heartbreaking. So
0: effective, though. I mean,
1: <sighs> that that you, you felt oh God, hope oh no, good mm-hmm. hope here. There's actual hope for these young men. And then suddenly, yeah. boom, something else
0: that a cousin Destroyed. or a brother or something that's oh. just. Oh, yeah it's just, it's Oh just my
1: goodness, I know, I know. It's like a it's like almost something else is going on in the background and it just all blows up at the end and you you just... it comes from nowhere, it comes but, out of left field. You know, I, yeah.
0: Criterion being the people that kind of showcase other people's lives i mean that's what i always think about filmmaking especially from a collection like criterion you get a window into how somebody else lives or grew Mm. up in different time a place a country a set of circumstances whatever it is and you do get a window into you always see an extreme version of it for sure but that doesn't mean it's not truthful
1: no, and they take these films to say that these are really mm-hmm. popular films. I mean, the That's excitement fun. around this release was very, very high. But they they took this film and they brought it out uh, and gave it a new lease of life. And perhaps it, it could have been forgotten about and sort of stuck on the DVD shelf and just forgotten about. And now it's got this wonderful new transfer, all of those extras. Uh, uh You know, it, it deserves mm. to be where it is in the Criterion Collection, yeah. certainly. Just, just yeah. fabulous. That was a good choice, Chris, very really, good choice. Really, really fabulous yeah. and
0: something that I, that I felt very kind of like scarred by, but also, you know, a fulfilling experience, film watching experience and, and kind of putting it all together and kind of reaffirmed why you go out of your way sometimes to seek out films that are sometimes difficult to watch and sometimes difficult to process, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that's why I like Criterion so much. You could be watching something from the 1920s one day and something like Relice to Society the next, and people will turn around and say, oh, Criterion's full of fuddy-duddy films. Actually, yeah. far from it. And, and the last few years, they've proved that by some of the releases they've brought out. They've been very contemporary in their nature. So, yeah. But you know how oh, I feel absolutely. about Criterion when I mean, you're out preaching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm preaching the gospel here that's, as I say it really yeah. But,
0: uh, yeah so interesting in, in in that regard yeah. uh, and the last one I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about very briefly and that is um, I've been on a bit of a Scorsese kick at the moment uh, I know Killers of the Flower Moons is out at the cinemas at the moment and you know all well and good as it is mm. I watch Silence yes. I haven't seen sa- Silence um
1: Silence. Yes. yes, I haven't watched so I th- it. I, I think not I, I don't I think know why. Recently, yeah. it kind of came
0: out just before the pandemic, and maybe there hasn't been like a big release of it, you know, to the same extent that there has other things. But Andrew Garfield, you know, Alan Driver, Liam Neeson, this kind of idea that they're going to go look for a for a priest <laughs> who has been lost in in Japan, who's trying to spread the Christian word, so to speak. It's a long film. Yeah, it's again very powerful yes it very is. very powerful uh, again there's bigger messages about life and about faith than just what is presented on the screen uh and that idea of like how far can your faith carry you all of that kind of stuff is oh, it's chilling in a lot of ways but like a real i mean like I said, i've been in a real scorsese kick at the moment of, of really enjoying his films but this is right up there with in terms of like really effective watches and what a great storyteller he is you know and it's just oh, utterly wonderful i really enjoyed it okay so that's that's our um, what we've been watching recently steve i'm a sh- like i'd be uh, having some technical difficulties today but isn't such life on the internet recording uh,
1: well i, I work at it so it comes with the territory for me
0: Oh my god. As a it's man a who does. Occurrence. As a man who heavily scripts, you're just sitting there going, there's a reason, Chris.
1: There is a reason. Yeah. Everything <laughs> I do is so tightly controlled. I've, I'm really scared when I do even just the live updates on the UK releases and think, oh, oh god. yeah. I, I record those now as well. They're not live either. Yeah.
0: Oh dear. It's so funny. So we're going to move mm. on to uh, things that are coming up, but things that are in news or things. Are happening in the physical mm. world, and there are a couple of very interesting things happening in the past week. I think Criterion's January slate is ah oh, a showstopper.
1: Wow. Yeah, they they are literally cementing their position here as one of the top labels now. I mean, that January slate is just amazing. Alright, we've got the 4K upgrades again, that's fine. I think we're going to have to live with that. If you're a collector of Criterion, you've you've verbally got the Blu-rays and some of those. Yes, indeed. But, I mean, quite frankly, I mean, they are knocking it out of the park. They really are.
0: We still get four big releases. We get three releases, new releases, and a box set, you know, outside of Blood Simple and the Apu Trilogy, which in their own right, I think, are just... They're ones that I I own both Blu-ray releases for them. Mm. Poo trilogy in four K is going to be very hard not to buy. I, the, the those films are special to a lot of us,
1: and uh, yeah, I'm I'm lucky in that regard. I don't have the Apu trilogy. So oh, do you I not! Could, I I held off. I had a funny feeling it was coming, and oh. I was actually in the CEX shop. Now, if you're not in the UK, you don't know what that is, but it's a second hand uh, shop, and they had it for thirty three pound. And I had it in my hand two months ago and put it down, and I thought. Let's see, it might be coming out in 4K because I just got a bit of a whisker of a, a rumor that they were showing 4K screenings mm. of Sanshin Ray films. And of course, they were that uh, the where trilogy were, was in that screening. And I'm thinking, hold off, Steve, that 4K is on the way. And I was right. I'm getting good you at predicting it now, Chris. I'm getting yeah. good at predicting it.
0: Uh, brilliant films, brilliant, brilliant. As is Blood Simple, like I'm a big dollars fan as well. Like, I'm, yeah, so, uh, brilliant. But, so, I'm the that we to be able get, to buy that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, got Lone Star from John Sales, which my good friend Saldar will be very happy about because he's the champion of the uh, the John Sales fan yeah. club there for all good and bad. No, so, I'm Lone Star coming,
1: really looking forward to seeing that film. Can't wait, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, definitely one of those and in 4K no less which is, which is great yeah
1: that's that's just even better fantastic
0: yeah because Mate, Mate 1 was was like a stunning release like a, a really <sighs> one, of the, one of the I, I have in the past couple of years yeah. yeah I
1: have that it's a fantastic yeah. release yeah really it's good funny. to have and more of him in the collection
0: for sure for sure uh, and then we have Mudbound by D Reese. And I, like, I'm an enormous fan of D Reese's other release, Pariah. Pariah. Whoa,
1: yeah. It was a uh, Netflix film, was it Mudbound, I believe? Mudbound was, yes, because it was. was, yes, cause it was uh, I yes. didn't see it. I didn't watch it. Uh, I'm not a big Netflix, fan of the right. stream. I find that the compression bothers me too much. It's very i prefer to wait till there's physical yeah. in, in most but cases,
0: i'm yeah. very excited for that very excited mm, because like, said, like yeah. do you said yeah that pariah film is one of my absolute favorites in the entire collection i she is a fantastic special.
1: filmmaker i i am really excited about mudbound yeah yeah did some some little film train train spotting well what can i say I mean, I didn't think, I wasn't expecting it. I have to say, I was really surprised because I thought, well, somebody else is going to bring a 4K out of spot and I never would a million years thought it would be Criterion. (laughs) But there you go. I am delighted to see it coming. It is a rite of passage film in the UK. That day. is true. I don't know how the Americans feel about train Perhaps they put the subtitles on to get rid of the Scottish <laughs> bits. But as you and me, we probably understand fluent Scottish anyway. That's true. It never bothered me, never caused any problems. But it is, it is clearly the film that catapulted Danny Boyle into the mm-hmm. stratosphere. He did Shallow Grave and Ewan McGregor was in it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as big as train Yeah. And uh, that was just meteoric spotting. And the, the the way he adapted the book from Urban Welsh and visualised what was clearly unfilmable, really, from a book perspective, because the book was written from all the perspectives of the individual characters. He put it all into Renton, but let Renton experience the individual characters and their perspectives, and we experienced it through Renton. Yeah. And it was just inspired. I mean, I cannot talk enough about Trainspot and I'm a massive fan of the film from, from the performances to the music, which is just so beautifully placed all the way through. But Danny Boyle is a master where score, for scoring is concerned, soundtrack scoring is concerned. And the fact he used the songs he did and the way he did was again, just inspirational. I mean, every young filmmaker should look at Trainspotting for inspiration and probably do, to be fair. It's, I mean, you can see what a fan I am. <laughs> it's 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 a funny film
0: for me because I think when I came yeah. out, I was definitely of that age, and I genuinely didn't like films that glorified drug taking. Which it, I mean, it sort of does, right, in a lot of ways. But I know well, it kind of it does it up do, with does it. it do,
1: I don't but this think is it what does I'm because saying. remember, you remember what happens to the the girl in. Well, the, yeah. This is the thing. So, like, yeah, as know, a young
0: man, you watch it, you kind of go, glorify God taken. But actually, as a as a more mature yeah, man and having seen train spotting in, it's, in recent memory... There's a serious
1: memory. message there that's given out. And, and the fact of what happens, of course, after, uh, you know, what particular nasty session the well, consequences are fatal well, indeed and, and,
0: yeah. and the glorifying again what was perceived glorifying of Robert Carlyle's character Begbie as well which again you can watch yeah. many years later and kind of go no I see that yeah. completely differently now and I think yeah. it it is a very different film now than it was to me then it's irreverence is the thing that I love about it now you know the fact that it didn't conform that it challenged Filmmaking Just, and what you could do on screen
1: and what way you could yeah. perceive defecating. It, it, I think it, it reinvented <laughs> filmmaking. It reinvented filmmaking in every it's, aspect. It's a very you know what I mean film. from it, from its very first opening sequence to its last few seconds. Yeah, it's it's. I'm not saying it's a perfect film. It's not, mm-hmm. but it's not far off perfect. Chris, as a, as a modern contemporary film goes, it really isn't.
0: And you know, <laughs> it has like a terrific cast as well. But you know. I do Johnny Lee Miller as well. More Johnny D Miller love him So many careers, oh, you burn know.
1: Burn I, I, so, I, I wasn't as keen on the sequel, to be fair. I think it's yeah. too long past. And he was mm-hmm. almost doing it as a, I have to do this. And it just wasn't as effective. Didn't enjoy it no, as much. It doesn't. Uh, it was, it, it's, uh, it's, weak, it's weak compared to its predecessor, to be fair.
0: It just doesn't have the time and place that the first one was released in. Because, no, like you say, no. it, it was on the cusp of a musical revolution at the time as well. Like The, the soundtrack was very influential in terms of its effect right, on right. British pop music for for the next yeah. kind of five, ten years as well, you know. So the whole thing is yeah. very important.
1: Well, 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 well I bought this, the, the soundtrack of the album, certainly. And I've also got mm-hmm. the green one as well, which is all of the extra tracks and all of the other oh, songs that were influenced good. from Trainspotting. And that's great as well, yeah. yeah I good. listen to it regularly, listen to it all the time, yeah nice so yeah that, that's that's going to be that is going to be a massive seller for Criterion oh I hope so they're bringing it out in January so people will wish, wish for, probably wait for the flash sale in America Or, uh, but I'm sure a lot of people will buy in it February, day one yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be I'll be in the list it for the UK. it see there's been a bit of talk that maybe <sighs> not because it's with yeah. Warner I think you're some, it's with somebody here yeah. that doesn't usually license it out but
1: no, I, I wonder. I, know. I wonder. Wait, they haven't announced the January UK releases yet. It could, I don't know what's going to be out there. You say
0: we're going to get Lone Storm. We're going to get Mudbound. I, I'm almost yeah. certain those are the two that we're going to get out of that, and we I, might I get a 4K release of poo Yeah, yeah. Don't say
1: have we got Blood Simple. I don't know if we've got. No, a UK we haven't. Of we haven't, we haven't got Blood Simple oh, because I didn't it. I, I anyway. would predict we're going to get Blood Simple in 4K then in January, hmm. possibly. I don't know. They tend to follow. They tend to follow the that sort of line. <laughs> well, oh, we'll see. We'll see what prediction comes out there then. let uh, yeah, but see. And the last one that obviously mm. is the Chantal
0: Ackerman masterpieces that includes uh, Jean Dillon yeah. Uh, yeah, as well, which is uh, a, a strange set given this price. I think I look at this price point and go, this isn't going to be one of the deluxe sets mm. that Criterion that, uh, do, no. do, but this seems to combine what would have been the Eclipse releases. Um, with yeah, some of yeah, the other... Yeah, be, they've be been out there ones. before, haven't they, the yeah.
1: Eclipse set? I mean, I I, I watched John Damon for the first time two years ago and mm-hmm. uh, I'd heard all the rumours about it. it's long, it's boring. I was transfixed for three and a half hours, could not stop watching that woman doing nothing most of the time <laughs> because it was just absolutely compelling. Yeah. So uh, it's it certainly got me to appreciate uh, Chantal Ackerman for that film alone. And obviously, I'll be really looking forward to seeing more other work, which I haven't yeah. seen because I don't have that Eclipse set because it's yeah. a DVD. I, I don't tend to buy DVDs
0: Well, it's, it's more the... I, I like the context, and I like to see it mm. wrapped up. And I want to watch a film, I like digging into it and saying, right, why was this an interesting film? I want to hear somebody else's perspective. Yes. Mainly because I can challenge my... I have a sounding board for what I thought of it, of somebody. Like, it was interesting. I yeah. was watching... Um, I've been watching a lot of Hitchcock recently because again is, is, is the time and I've watched Vertigo yeah. and Freakin's commentary on Freaking does the commentary <laughs> on Vertigo right <laughs> yes. actually his reading of Vertigo because it's a film I've seen seven eight times whatever it is many times I've seen Vertigo is like that's, the, that's so strange that he would think that of it because I actually see it slightly differently and I, I think that as a as a film viewer that's some of the, the most fun you can have is when you kind of hear somebody else's thoughts and go I don't completely agree with that, but that's okay. That doesn't mean I'm wrong, you know. That's
1: yes, because I've heard hard. people say that *John Damon especially is one of the most boring films I've ever watched. I mean, but I for me, it was one of the most exciting I've ever watched. <laughs> I,
0: I, I can see both sides of the
1: argument quite well because yeah, there is yeah. nothing
0: happens. Like she cuts potatoes, no, she puts it's, potatoes, it's, she cuts the beans, tenison, You know,
1: it's the fact that you're actually seeing nothing happen uh, is, is fascinating. I found that completely fascinating. And, and then when something did happen, it completely, and really left they would not expecting it at all. Because oh. the film had almost load you into a sense of the banal and the ordinary. That's and that's then that. when you get the extraordinary occur, you're thinking, what the? You know? But 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 there
0: are again there are clues and signs when you see the banana in the order and you see oh. the day to day repeated it's this very small differences of the things yes. that you notice and that's where the power of that comes yes. in and what smartness
1: becomes. comes it is so, very very subtly done very subtly done
0: so yeah. very excited for Criterion for the rest of the year if that's kind of two upgrades four new releases mm. two of them in four K with like that's phenomenally exciting. Uh, for the rest yeah, of the and year. And I noticed
1: no Janice Contemporaries for January announced, so That's either they're right. going to be still announced or they're going to be another three films, or are they leaving those till February? Maybe so there January. could be even more coming, yeah, down Indeed. the line.
0: That's interesting. And then Indicator announced their January slate. I don't know how much you follow Indicator, Steve.
1: I don't follow it too heavily because unfortunately a lot of those films are, are not my cup of tea. Cup of tea. Yeah. And I did I did buy a lot of great I did buy a lot of Indicator when in the last few years, but mm-hmm. I've dropped right off because the films they're releasing are not really my thing, yeah. unfortunately. So a uh, couple of so, interesting
0: things from their January slate is that they have went from four to three releases for this month. And I often think that January is the time when a lot of companies reset and say, set out the stall for the yeah, year, say, this is what's going to happen, yeah. which I'm sort of glad to see because like, I'd rather they kept a high quality bar up with less releases rather than kind of force out for you know, and have one kind of benefit or just and you kind of watch it going. That wasn't at the level of the other ones, or otherwise. Uh, and they've also done away with their reward system as well, which I think is really interesting.
1: Oh, that's unfortunate. The bundle thing has gone no, as well. No, the, has bun- the, the,
0: bu- the bundles there, the but the they used to give you p- They used to give you points as well. So that uh, basically, you know, right. I think it was four points for every pound that you spent, something like that. Uh, something of that that I'll sound like oh, they're going okay, away that's with that. very and good. they're letting yeah. you spit they're letting you spend up the rest of it so I'll get I have eighteen pounds worth of points left to spend so I'll dump that off this month's purchase. Very nice so, and I'll, so I'll be done you, with you, that.
1: You are there is a, a January releases then on their roster you're attracted to, obviously. There is
0: there is indeed well I, I tend to buy mm-hmm. indicator site on scene kind of every month because they have this mix of classic films that used to be on at eleven o'clock at night on BBC One, BBC Two. <laughs> uh, as I would say. But those, uh, if you remember remember those kind of ones. And they also then have the mix of classic Hollywood that, that tends to come out in like Kino and stuff like that. So uh, this yes, month they yes. have uh, The Man Who Had Power Over Women, which is Rod Taylor and Carol White. I didn't know that one. Impossible Object, which is a Frankenheimer movie with Alan Bates. And then they have... Uh, uh, that, that, see, that?
1: that might interest me
0: yeah and then Jinnah which is uh, Christopher Lee uh, about Pakistan's founding father Muhammad Ali Jinnah um, so like three interesting releases and as usual great extras and all of that kind of stuff you know
1: I know a bit about Jenna. apparently he, it was his favourite film Christopher Lee's favourite film
0: so I'd heard that I did hear that of his, of his. Yeah.
1: so that might actually make me want to get that I want. I want to have a look at that because he's playing a real person isn't he Yes, he In is a film? historical figure. Yeah, yeah. So he's doing a biopic. So I, I I, think I'd like to see him do that. I'd like to have a look at that. Yeah. So, so I might ex- order that one.
0: Excited by that. So just to be clear, the bundle is still there. So order the three things, get a 10% discount, which is great. Um, but uh, going down the number of leases, I think that's also... I'll I not complain about that because I have a lot of unwatched discs just like everybody else.
1: Yes, yes. And after Christmas, it's expensive. You know, you want so to try and sort of start saving money down. going into the new year.
0: So after that, yeah. we have two weeks of releases. The, the October the 30th. Now, you've highlighted a few releases here, mainly 4Ks. Steve, are your, are, your, are
1: your bag here? So uh, well, Chris, uh, it's, the, it's the golden age for 4Ks. I mean, what is coming out coming up to Christmas is just phenomenal. It is, and not to mention the silly films like Santa Claus the Movie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Special 4K. steel books yep. of Alf and Alfred God. Yeah, exactly. You know, these are these are the not the Christmas dregs, I'm not going to call it that. But you've got Scrooge, haven't you coming out? Yeah, that's With coming the at wonderful 4K. Bill Murray. <laughs>
0: Seen that? I don't know how many times. Yep, indeed.
1: Is he trying to put antlers on a mouse, I think, in that film, I believe? <laughs> He's trying to staple it. Trying to staple oh, the antlers. Still, that's, 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 only yeah, only that's Bill Murray. I can't wait to see it because I just love... Uh, Carol... Is it Carol? Uh, oh, I've forgotten the actress's name. She's so, off, she's so off-paced. She's so She's just yeah. absolutely nuts in I the love film. Scrooge. love Scrooge. Uh, and uh, Scrooge is such fun to watch. I already have Elf. I bought that last year. <laughs> <laughs> but then Bunch you buy these silly in. films coming up to Christmas, don't you? But I mean I've heard wind that shouts you know spring a JFK. Oh, Both yes, cuts that's right. JFK. Big, big big of JFK. I have my I have my pre order and I cannot wait. I'm like JFK. You know, Warner Brothers didn't bring it out, uh, but at least it's coming out. That's all that matters okay. to me because I've wanted a 4K of JFK since I was born. <laughs> 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 but <laughs> but you, you, you've you highlighted
0: Megan and Leon, the professional, obviously the um, yes, Leno film.
1: Yes. Well, I bought the Blu ray. This is, this is so irritating. They're doing this all the time. They're bringing out Blu-rays of films, and then three or four months later, they're, they're saying, four here's a 4K. We don't care if you bought the Blu-ray, buy the 4K again. And that's exactly what I'll probably end up doing, <laughs> uh, because that's exactly what it did do. So I've seen Megan, yeah. or M3GAN, as it's known it to is. friends. Did you? Um, <laughs> you obviously enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. it. You know what? For what it was, it's one of those films, it's... It's not a new idea, necessarily, a a doll that goes mad and psychotic, let's face it. It's not a new idea, but it's a modern version of that idea, done very, very well indeed, with the technology and the visual effects are absolutely A1. Yeah. Uh, And uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Ex Machina in parts, to be fair. Oh, right, okay. Because there's a a robot that goes completely nuts in that as well, kills people. But it's it's so it's so well done, and again it starts off. You know, you don't suspect much at the beginning of the film. A mm-hmm. nice little doll, it's bought, you know, and obviously you program it, and, you know. Uh, you you what's the word pair with the doll, and then the first indication that the doll is psychotic is the boy in the uh, outbound, you know, retreat. That uh, it's just horrific what the yeah. doll does to the boy, and yeah. you think, "Here we go, here we go, it's going to be carnage," and indeed <laughs> it is.
0: So, virtually that, that, <laughs> everything
1: the doll encounters from that point forward either is maimed or seriously injured or dies. But that's what those films are built to do, and they do it incredibly well. Chris yeah. thoroughly enjoyed the ride. Uh, yeah. And uh, all I'll be bad at for really, is the, is the clarity in the 4K. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the, the Blu-ray is pretty impressive as it is. Pretty impressive. And Leon,
0: obviously a film that is just filled full of tension, but also like some of the greatest acting performances of people of all ages. Uh, Leon is just superlatives.
1: It's great. I mean, the performances are brilliant. Natalie Portman, of course, is mm. wonderful in the film. Yep. and uh, And also, you know... Sean Reno sort of he had the big time, I think De Palma cast him after That's right uh, Leon That's right, so on did. the strength of Leon in Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. He had done mainly uh foreign films up to that point and suddenly he was launched into Hollywood as a as a, a very, very bankable actor after that. Mm. And Gary Oldman, I mean, well what can I say? I mean, <laughs> well, we're
0: gonna talk about you know, him we're gonna talk about him again, but I think it's nice to compare this performance oh. to
1: up your well, ears, he's, isn't he's the epitome of a versatile actor, Chris. I mean, he is so scary in that film. I <laughs> was frightened of him, watching yes. him on screen, and I saw it in the cinema, and I was petrified of that guy. And I'm thinking, what's he going to... This is unpredictability. You absolutely have the clue what he's going to do. And when he lets Rip... But he doesn't let Rip straight away. It's all bubbling under, and suddenly, boom and then it's you insanity. think oh my god it's yeah. utter insanity and he doesn't seem to care who's in the way or what's going on and that's what I loved about the film it was that sheer unpredictability of it and how he Jean Reno's trying to keep control of the girl, protect the girl against what seems to be immovable forces mm-hmm. but somehow or other he manages to to get her through you think she's going to die you really do. Fantastic. Fantastic yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, scored again by Eric Serra. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he's Yeah, well, uh, Luke Besson uses Eric Serra all the time for, for his time. scores. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, also out that week is Pandora's Boxes out for Masters of Cinema, um, mm. which. I'll talk about it in a second. Uh, Ginger Snaps Trilogy from Second Sight, Chopper by Second Sight and then the next release in the Director's Company series from Third Window, which is Door 1 and 2. I've just watched Guard from Underground. Yeah, okay. Uh, and there's a few other things. Now, the interesting mm-hmm. thing about Chopper and Pandora's boxes, I'm not buying the big boxes. I'm swearing off big boxes, hard box boxes for the rest of oh, my right. life is what I'm saying. More for, really? space, okay. more for a space reason than anything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to pack, pick up the standard editions of, of anything so I'll have to wait a bit for Pandora's box to come out and like that artwork is gorgeous it's the one that I'm looking it's, at golden, it's, but it's I could beautiful. just make an, yeah. I could make an exception but I'm not going to yeah. because for the love of God I can't I just I,
1: maybe on your Christmas list put it on your Christmas list Chris nah, it's <laughs> I just I kind of I kind of want to I kind of want to sell
0: yeah. all of my second side hard boxes with a few exceptions and just get the single oh. cases so that I can fit more things on a shelf is is where I'm at with it. But I know.
1: I don't know. I, I know I, they are massive. They are gigantic. Some of them. I have very big
0: ideas, but I'm very poor execution. Mm. So I'll probably feel misery because Pandora's box is something mm. that I'm very excited for. Uh, November the seventh. Uh, there's one big release that I'm. Oh, Hitchcock's Classics Volume Three.
1: Oh, wonderful! I, I was waiting for it to come because I'm saying where are all the rest, and here they are. So I think that's it complete. I think that'll be the last one. Uh, Chris, I think but, it'll yes. Be the last what a one, yeah. what a compilation! What a compilation! Great, great choice. Because they've all been out there before in sets, yes. but the difference is they're all 4K. And uh, I've been waiting personally for Torn Curtain. It's just one of my mm-hmm. little favourites of his. Very simple little film. Judy Andrews and Pony, but mm-hmm. I just love it, love it to death. And uh, it doesn't really do much as a film. To be fair, there's no real fear or dread in the film whatsoever. Uh, but it's just this business about you know the the Iron Curtain and you know, traveling through East Berlin and get you know getting getting to Sweden at the end of the film, and I just I just love it. It's just a lovely little Hitchcock film actually. Yeah. So so I always it's, admired it for that reason. Yeah. It's
0: the film that ended uh, Bernard Herrmann and uh, Hitchcock's friendship, mm, as, as it turns yeah, out. He fired know, him from it, you know? know. So know. that that that's yeah. really interesting. I can't wait for that set because the other two sets, I I just I just think. Are just fantastic and not in terms of just obviously the quality of the films but I think Universal have went to town on actually doing oh, definitive sort of releases of a lot of those it's, films it's, You know, it's,
1: it's great that they all come out in separate sets and they haven't just mm-hmm. launched every single Hitchcock film straight exactly. out uh, because it would have cost a fortune in 4K but we're getting it in little chunks which is lovely yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm very pleased that we're getting the Man and You Too Much in that set as well the, the, yes. the remaked version Topaz of Man Who Knew and, and, Knew yeah, Too yeah. Much and I've got to, also I really like Rope as well. Can I just mention Rope? Based on the 1929 play by Patrick Hamilton. Quite possibly now, my favourite Hitchcock. Hitch- yeah. Well, yes, Hitchcock sort of changed that from the British play to an American mm. film because he changed the woman in it. Uh a, 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 The woman in it was actually a man in the play. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't know that. The maid was a man. Yeah. Uh Because I've actually uh, been involved with the stage play of Rope. Very good. So That's right, I indeed. know a lot about the original play. So it's it's great, great casting. Uh, it was writing. just, James Stewart was inspired to put him in, in that role because he the, was perfect for that part. The, yeah. the
0: fake one shot, as, as, as it is. Yeah, it's not, is
1: it? It's, no, yeah, it's, it's not. Fake, so I
0: know where the joints are, but it's fun. Yeah.
1: It's great, but it comes across like it's one take. It, and does. It's, 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 it was an experiment by Hitchcock, and I think largely he pulled it off. because he did he he treated it like a play that's what he did he was reverent to the play and said I'm going to make it look as if it's just the play so there's no interruptions and that's exactly what he did
0: Yeah. Uh, other main one that I should highlight I mean there's one false move is coming out from Criterion which has already been out in the US but we're getting the 4K and Blu-ray version here for for one one false move I have an imprint so I'm sitting on the fence for the, as far you're, as that one you're goes. You're
1: okay with that. Yeah, well, that's Carl so. Franklin. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. I've got, I've got that 4K because, as usual, I didn't wait. I, I didn't know it was coming to the UK, so I've got mm-hmm. the US release of false Move. Fantastic film. Thoroughly yeah. recommend it. It's brilliant. Absolutely uh, brilliant.
0: And the other one I'd really like to highlight is a kind of very late edition that was announced by the BFI, which is the KLF film, uh, 23 Seconds to Eternity.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised about that because I bought the, uh, the album KLF mm-hmm. and listened an awful lot to, well, very clock yeah. to, to justified an ancient. Yeah. <laughs> it was on the radio. It was never off the radio mm-hmm. when it was released. And, uh, I, I just, I just, I love the album. I love KLF period. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that release and sucking up the extras as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I love, I love that. that. When that album was out, I was a big KLF fan as well. And it kind of, again, their reverence and everything they kind of stood for as being anti establishment yeah, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. There was a, That's so interesting. There's a
1: slight mystery about them, Chris, as yeah. well. You know, when they brought a release out, it was like, ooh, KLF, what are they doing? Yeah. And it was not sort of watch advertising and, you know, there was it was a sort of mystique around it. Well,
0: yeah. they did that thing, didn't they? Where they just released under various names. So they would be like, as well, as yeah. the just of Mimu. And, of and you found, and yeah, you found out yeah. after the fact that it was the same guys, you know, and it was it like, was oh, you at the yeah. time. Yeah. So fascinating yeah, no, stuff.
1: Great. I'm really looking forward to that. But you see, BF have had done it a couple of times now with was a music yes, uh, right. film as well. And of course, they've done it more recently with The Weekender, which I bought. And The Weekender is great. Yeah. Uh, another, uh, you know, I mean, music video that's sort of gone down in the annals of time. Yeah. And they
0: did the Pet Up Boys one as well. Uh, yes. Yes. To us. Yes. Yeah. So, so like really great. Uh, to see them continue to champion that, even with the uh, the scar one that came out, um, dance crazy. Oh, dance came out as well. Dance Craze Dance Cruise is great.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was like a. It was just literally turning back time. It sounds amazing as well. There's an atmosphere on that. Sounds amazing. Sounds like you're there. Sounds like you're in the room. Amazing.
0: And you know, I think it's worth saying, but we're both big fans of BFI's output uh, over the past oh, of years well, and the choices say, that they make uh, we may as uh, well be shareholders. shareholders you and I Chris indeed <laughs> BFI shareholders continue to champion their, their cause and the choices that they make in terms of releasing them I'm a, I continue to be a big big fan of as it goes yep. so that's what's coming out over the next couple of weeks which leaves us only one thing to do or movie club if you want to say or otherwise your Choice, and I'll do my usual intro, is a 1987 film directed by Stephen Frears that runs for 105 minutes that has a 7.1 on IMDb. It has a 77 or 79% audience approval score on Rotten Tomatoes with a 95% tomato meter and a 3.6 in Letterboxd which feels, you know, mm. I don't know. Mm. Uh, a maybe letter. a bite. <laughs> What is the film, Steve, and why did you pick it?
1: Well, um, he's my hero, Jordan. Oh, uh, uh, speaking, speaking as a gay man here, he is my hero. Because uh, he was the film I sort of watched. That was one of the films I watched when I was about to come out. And yeah. it was just the way he handled himself that just... Ability he had to be charming at at the same time as just doing exactly what he wanted. He didn't care about anybody, and I I was slightly inspired by that. And I bet it went a bit wild, to be honest. When I came out, (laughs) (laughs) let's just say uh, it was quite, quite, quite an attack on the world. But I calmed down not long afterwards. But (laughs) prick up your ears for me was almost a coming of age film for me. I was a young man at the time. And I watched it and I thought, wow, I never heard of this guy before. Went off and bought the John Law biography, Mm -hmm. bought the Orton diaries, read them from cover to cover, and literally became a Orton expert overnight. And uh, he's still one of my heroes as well to this day. He had a very short life, died just around 30 years of age. And his life didn't really start till he reached Rada in his 20s. And when he met Halliwell, obviously the film starts at the end where he is, is killed by Halliwell. And then it goes back to his formative years That's when crazy. he's a young man and his mother is Julie Walters. Who, who wouldn't want a mother as Julie <laughs> Walters? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And his sister is, uh, also a great actress as well. Frances Barber. Yeah. Leo his sister who really was quite bemused by what he was up to at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's written by Alan Bennett, and that's why it has that nice comic streak running all the way through it. It could have been taken and written by somebody else, and I don't think it would have been as successful a film, yeah. because it instantly draws you in and makes you comfortable watching it. The performances from Gary Oldman as John Orton, as he was known in Leicester before he left, and then Joe Orton, and then, of course, Alfred Molina as Kenneth Halliwell are yeah. absolutely two of the best British performances I've ever seen. And, um, and equally so, Peggy Ramsey by the wonderful Vanessa Redgrave. Yes. Oh.
0: So, so much that I... Because I hadn't seen it before at all, like I was saying.
1: Yeah, I, um, I want to know what you think about it because I, I sort of know what I think. I'd love to hear what you thought as a first-time viewer of that film. So I didn't
0: know Joe Slice John Orton at all. I didn't know who he mm. was. I didn't know what the film was about in any ways. And in fact, the Stephen Frears films that I'd seen uh, were basically My Beautiful Laundrette and High Fidelity, which is... Which, yes. Ironically yes. enough, High Fidelity for me is my coming-of-age film of that kind of transformation thing, which is interesting that they're both Stephen Freer's films. I think that's a very... interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, I think Uh,
1: My Beautiful London would have been a coming-of-age film for many other gay men too as well uh, prior, prior to that one. Yeah.
0: So a couple of things stood out to me. Obviously, a very young Gary Oldman and how he plays a very... Like, how expertly he plays a youthful character given that he's kind of become famous for playing... Kind of the opposite in many ways, and a lot of time very serious, dar kind of maybe a bit psychotic, and it, it's totally about face, you know, the other way. Yes. And the things that really strike me about it is obviously the relationship between Halliwell and Orton themselves, about how they kind of worked with each other, and actually how Orton's success actually led to the end, you know, and and the, and how Halliwell it couldn't ac- couldn't accept that. And yeah. it's so interesting because I recently watched Hedwig and the Angry Inch, right?
1: Oh, yes, yes. And a lot of
0: the themes are so similar about, you know, Hedwig in that film is kind of holding on to the anger of how she's been wronged by a former lover and how they took credit for their time together and how they became a big star and they were not. not. And kind of, you look at that and and alongside this, and you see the ends of the two the two movies as being the total opposite of each other. Yes. And you kinda, yes. And 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 how those things and how Halliwell, as a man, couldn't let go. He could never get past that. At a certain point, it was always going to end that way for him because he yep. couldn't. He couldn't do it, and yet Orton, as a man did his best to include him at all times. Like there's even the scene when they're filming the, the stage play and he's sitting at the back shouting the obscenities and they're going, who are you? Yes, absolutely.
1: And Abso- yes.
0: Go ahead. Yeah, he, he has his he, place. He
1: included him. He included him. Even so much setting up all his friends to come to his uh, his collage exhibition. Mm-hmm. It, nobody would have been there had he not asked them yeah. to come. Everyone in that room other than Halliwell, Orton had made come there. Yeah. That was the problem. And he was, he was a nobody, Halliwell. That was the problem. And he thought he was intelligent. He was intelligent, Hollywood. Don't get me wrong. But he had no talent. That was the problem. Yeah. He had no writing talent. Orton was the one with the talent. And that was, they found that talent in prison. Yeah. And, and when he came out, that line had been crossed. He didn't need. Halliwell in his life anymore, but he chose to keep him there. And because Halliwell was such a neurotic man, it could only end one way. That was the problem. So, if they had split up, he uh, it, it, it would be still alive, I think.
0: Yeah. That's the problem as well. Oh, for sure. But well, you do that, they do that whole investigation of their. Of the things that they got up together, the formative stages of the relationships and, and and how they kind of used other people to supplement their relationship. Let's put it that way. Uh, in some mm. ways, and how that they that how that was a positive in some ways, but ultimately, you know, destroyed it in some ways because it created and festered an awful lot of, I'd say, insecurity in Halliwell because the fact that he kept oh, on changing his hair, etc. You know, the, the changing yeah. of the wigs and the yeah. changing of all of that, and yeah. also yeah. about how this is a document of how. I think Britain has changed so much in terms of both attitudes, dress. There's it, 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 it's again one of those like slice of life draw, cut through Britain at that stage and you get represented on screen. what prick up your ears, was yes, uh, yes. I, I, that, That's what an awful lot of what I got out of it as well. You know, in terms of the mother relationship and the sister relationship and the the agent relationship and all of that kind of stuff. You know, it really.
1: But I think he he grew to resent Orton towards the end, Chris, as well, because what happened was the resentment kicked in whenever, I think for me, it was very apparent when he didn't take him in the car with Paul McCartney that day. Mm -hmm. He was the wife that was left behind on the doorstep. He wasn't included in the meeting. And Orton had made a conscious decision not to take him, I think. And that's where the canker festered with Halliwell. I think after that point, he resented Orton. And and it just got worse as Orton went to the awards without him as well. Did you notice? Right. He took yeah. his agent, not his husband. Halliwell. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, it, it, but
0: a bit like you say, actually, Steve, one of the other things that, that strikes me about it as well is the difference between people who have good ideas and the people that have long lasting talent. Because obviously Halliwell wanted credit for it because he thought he'd good ideas and should be getting recognition for it. But as you say that actually didn't translate into talent for him. Ideas are not talent, if that makes sense. But Halliwell couldn't no. couldn't work that out for himself. He couldn't he couldn't see the difference between between those two things. He just thought the two things were the same.
1: He did. He did. And the thing was Orton moved on without him and probably would have gone on to even bigger things like films as well. He never quite got that Beatles film screenplay done to to the level he needed to to get it out there. Uh, cause Epstein rejected it, uh, rightly so, cause it wasn't right for the Beatles. But the thing is, <laughs> the boy hairdresser never saw the, t- never saw the light of day either. That yeah. was the one they combined forces on, because it just wasn't a good enough story. Yeah. Uh, so, it was clear that, uh, and he only wrote, I think, possibly, yeah, five plays, I believe, only wrote. The last one was posthumous, was performed after his death, What the Butler Saw. Yeah, yeah. And he won his Evening Standard Award for Loot, which was his most successful play. He wrote yeah. one called Funeral Games and Entertaining Mr. Sloan. And the radio play That's... Ruffian on the Stair, which yeah. the film looks at. Yeah. Uh, which I think is still done on radio to this day. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, um but-
0: it, it it's it's also a strange well, it's strange, but it's a great choice for this kind of thing as well because it's a, a film that's impossible to spoil because it spoils it at the very first scene, so to speak, you know, in terms oh, of, yes, of yes, the outcome, etc.
1: It's a historical fact all through the film. What, yeah. what, what I think is done very well by the writer of the screenplay is the comic elements in it. The library books, particularly funny sequences, the library books, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to say the word he says, by Monte something by Monte." <laughs> you know, people died and he sort of very expressively says it and it's hilarious. I just was in raptures of hilarity when I saw that bit because it's just so typically Alan Bennett and there's a lot of Alan Bennett in it as well. Uh, Which, which is why I like it so much. Because a massive Alan Bennett fan as a playwright, yeah. So uh, they really Stephen Frears picked the right man to write the screenplay. Don't you know, oh, it. and it's he, hilarious! He picked the right cast of people to be in it. It's absolutely jaw-droppingly funny in parts. It really is. Oh, you know, okay. oh, my, my, my. I think what she said: you yeah, the woman downstairs who you barely meet. Oh, I'm just no oh, more my 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 just come off like a balloon." <laughs> it's just so fun. <laughs> you know that, that, you just can't make lines like that up
0: oh, there's so many up. They,
1: they just collapse in laughter when she goes out the door you know and the uh, lines of Judy Walt do you she know oh but bloody blitz temper all bloody sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh sheets because he wants to look like uh, you know he's all dressed up as before one of his players or something he used to yeah I don't uh, think Orton would have uh, become an actor in the end though I think he was destined to become a right? I don't think he yeah. He would have been a successful actor, yeah. I Don't think he had the the mentality for it. Really, his, his reverence would never have allowed him to do something serious on stage. I think,
0: yeah, yeah. It's just he, some he just put his finger.
1: He put his finger up to the whole of society and establishment. Everything he wrote was completely, uh, you know. There's a line. I think uh, there's a line in what the butler saw. It's not. I don't think it's even uh, mentioned in the film. But it's just a funny line. You know, she's something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your legs are, 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 are Y-shaped, they'll they'll bury something you spread your legs so wide they'll bury you in a Y-shaped coffin was one of the lines of the play what <laughs> <on> Butler's <laughs> yeah. It's oh. just full of those really, really rude lines and moments. Um some of them do get into the film, thankfully as well. Yeah.
0: So so, so Alpha Molina has just some he must have read those lines and went, Oh, this is so wonderful, I can't wait did mm. say this on film and have it recorded. Uh, yeah. Oh, did it's you It's shocking in some ways, the, but yeah.
1: Yeah. John Larr's mother in law, did you notice? Uh, Wallace Shawn played John Larr. Fantastic yes. casting, Wallace Shawn in it. Uh, she's the woman who's the old woman in Faulty Towers. Oh, right, okay. The same actress. Yeah. Oh, John I, I think it. her name is. Right, okay. John yeah, that bit where she translates the shorthand in the book for her daughter. Just that one little scene where so she's in cool. that translates the shorthand That's into so cool. the rude words he wrote, that she's out of faulty towers. She's the woman that uh, complains about her room all the time to Basil Faulty. That's
0: right, yes. Oh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful character in that as well. But it's its a film full, actually, yeah. when I went to investigate it, a film full of interesting trivia, as you probably already know if you've de- delved oh, into it it's in quite a long way. So, like yeah, the likes of Wallace Shawn. the reason Wallace Shawn is in it is because his agent was Vanessa Redgrave's character, and he volunteered. He says, "Can I be in it? I would like to play a part in it." You know, and a lot of people say his cast was strange because obviously who he was and how famous he was and all the rest of it. But he literally inserted himself into the into the production rather yes. than uh, yes. rather than to do it.
1: It's great, great, and obviously uh, the casting of Vanessa Redgrave as Peggy Ramsay, such a such a great a part, and she just just did such beautiful playing of it, and of course she lifted the diaries on that day after the murder when she walks into the room backwards, but they don't surface for a long time until mm-hmm. late later, till she finally thinks she can trust John Lawyer and give him the diaries. Otherwise, the world would never have known. What yeah. Orton had written. And the thing was, he actually wanted Halliwell. This is the interesting thing, Chris. It's in the film. He wanted Halliwell to read the diaries. Read but he'd actually want, he deliberately played a trick on him. Lots of the diary is in shorthand. So he, he would never have been able to know what, <laughs> what the, the sexual content of the diary was, the juicy bits. He wouldn't, he, would, he couldn't read shorthand. Yeah. So that was interesting as well.
0: So 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 interesting. Uh, I, I like I, I'm mm. dumb. I'm dumb, Steve, because I didn't even get that the title of the bloody film is a play on words, by itself Like I it's just, <laughs> it is. I know. I, <laughs> I know. was like, what? <laughs> like, it seems so obvious when you realise it. I was like, oh, what the hell? Uh, but the the other interesting thing that I found was obviously the the Beatles stuff that was in it. Obviously. The, the fact that he was going to write the yes. people's play etc but actually yeah. how much of it yeah. actually influenced Joe's life in terms of like a day in the life was played at his funeral you know for instance and it, and it is the coded yes, to the film yes. as well yes.
1: and that the other th- the lovely sequence as well again very funny where they're dividing up the ashes and oh. she says oh I think I put too much of Joe in, I put too much of Ken in oh no it's not a recipe dear <laughs> it's <not> a recipe. <laughs> fantastic and but, of course but, that, that Actually happens. That
0: actually happens. Yeah. But I, I read that. I read so, that line in one of the letterbox reviews, and, and and somebody had actually pointed out. I think it was a wonderful point that actually I think there's a bit too much. Can I think that is the story of their lives? You know, in a lot of ways, that just that line. Absolutely. I'm putting it in. Yes, there's a bit too absolutely. much of Joe in this, rather than you know, or, or you know, yeah. they've got the balance right. Or, um, they didn't get the balance right in terms of their relationship to ultimately be successful as no, a partnership. No, it of was
1: it. very, it was very imbalanced as a relationship. Yeah. Definitely, it, it so. really, it, it it shouldn't have worked at all. Yet somehow it did on some levels work. Yeah. And obviously, even when they were split up, he, he, the strange thing was, I was quite surprised. Which you think when he's been to prison because of the library book uh, issue, but he comes back out and he goes back. To Noel Road and back to Hollywell. Mm-hmm, right. Would you and your why the streams do that? No, well, he I think that's get, who he was. That would be your opportunity to get as far away as possible. Yes, it's who he was. He was he was quite generous as a person, mm-hmm. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Chris. I really am. Fabulous um, choice. Um, Fabulous uh, choice. Yeah, thank
0: you, thank you. Um, and one that I, it's that a I...
1: very very personal film for me as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, one that I thoroughly enjoyed delving into, especially not knowing anything, Steve. And it was like, I had no the preconceptions. The music, by the way,
1: is by... Uh, no, no, good. That's that's what I hoped you would have, no preconceptions. Yeah. Yet. It's good you know nothing about Joe Orton before you watched it, because then Indeed. it became an education for you. It did. And uh, the music is by Stanley Myers in that film, and it's a rather strange score, I think. it's it's uh, You don't really know what it is, but it's, somehow it shouldn't really fit. But it does. But it does. How strange is that, yeah. Because yeah. you'd think, why, why is the music like that? When I first heard the music, I thought, this is weird. <laughs> but I by the end of the film, I fully really accepted the score. But the film has
0: like a, a weird feel to it because it is about a very dark event. Like phenomenally dark event. The darkest of all events, if you want to put it that way. And yet there's a gay yeah. and light, lightness about it because it's celebrating two gay men. Yeah. You know what I mean? In their life, you know? And it's like...
1: Okay. Well, the trip to Morocco, it's like a Set Mac silent comedy (laughs) with the music by the sea, by the sea, by the beautiful sea. And you're thinking, (laughs) what? You know, you clearly know what they're both getting up to, but there's nothing dark necessarily (laughs) until Hollywell throws the typewriter over the balcony. But up up to that point, it's quite light.
0: Yep, indeed. But it's because of
1: Bennett's comic, comic writing all the way through it is what makes it become. Not a dark and moody and miserable piece, that's right. which you could easily have been in the indeed. wrong hands. Indeed, yeah. indeed.
0: So that's our that's our episode, Steve. Sad that it's come Fantastic. to an end. For all of the uh, technical challenges that we've had, we've got to the yeah. end, and, uh, and and another we've really wonderful uh, thing. If anybody doesn't know where to find you, Steve, or what you, you tend to do, now's your chance to go plug yourself.
1: Well, my channel is Let's Talk Criterion and I preview new and forthcoming Criterion releases every week. Obviously, coming up, we have the month of November, a very busy month for Criterion. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on that particular uh, section of Let's Talk Criterion now as we speak. But coming up in the immediate next, uh, uh, well, maybe it won't be before we see this, but certainly I've got the final release for October coming out. Which is uh, the uh, uh, Negatu Yuzu film Nanny. Oh, so that's yes. next on looking the roster for me. Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, be be coming out soon. Yeah, looking forward to that. So thank you very much, Chris, for inviting me on.
0: Yes, hope to have you on again sometime. I, I look forward to your film choice when when that comes round. And the only thing left for me to say is what's coming up next. So next episode in the movie club or kind of something borrowed section is a film that I think is, would belong up there in the top 100 films of all time of things that I've seen, but I don't believe it is yet. It is Funeral Parade of Roses.
1: Ah, right. Well, this will be a new one
0: for me. Oh, it's, Mm. oh, that's a BFI release to die for uh, in a lot of ways. Mm. Brilliant film and one that I can't wait to talk about. Thanks very much, Steve, and I'll catch everybody else in the next time. What I should say, actually, about Funeral Prairie of Roses, if anybody has seen it and wants to get involved in the next episode, stick what you think about Funeral Prairie of Roses down in the comments or um, contact me through any of the other ways that are on the the notes of this. And we'll include it in the next episode because I think Funeral Prairie Roses is a film that will generate a lot of discussion. Hopefully. That's unusual. I'll catch you next time on Something Play. Take care. All the best.